0: Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the CogniCast, the podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people that create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Well, I want to let remind you that Euroclosure tickets are still on sale. Euroclosure will be held in Barcelona, Spain, June 25th and 26th, 2015, and should be a great conference. This is our first year running it, Cognitech's first year running the conference. We um, took it over from uh, Marco and friends, uh, but uh, we're We're looking forward to having a great conference. The same people that bring you uh, Closure West and the Closure Conj now bring you Euroclosure. So uh, if you're anywhere in the area or would like to be anywhere in the area, which uh, I would count myself among that number, although I won't be making it to this one, then you should go to euroclosure.org and uh, buy some tickets. Those are going to be gone pretty soon since June 25th and 26th is coming up rather quickly. I want to mention a couple of the things. These are the things that are not Cognitech related. Just want to make sure that we don't take any credit for things that we didn't do, but I want to mention them because they look pretty interesting. Um, so Skills Matter is presenting a fast track to closure course in London. That's being held June 22nd and 23rd. Uh, you can find out more about that uh, at their website, skillsmatter.com. Um, I've got the URL here, skillsmatter.com courses slash four seven nine fast dash track dash two dash closure. Although I'm sure you can find that more easily by just searching for it. Um, I want to mention the Closure Monterey Bay meetup group. They will be meeting Wednesday, June tenth. Uh, and I think this episode is going out the 9th. So <laughs> hopefully you heard in time if you're in the area. That'll be at seven PM at apt path. Um, you can find them at meetup.com slash closure dash mob, M-O-B. Uh, finally, I want to mention uh, Ambrose Bonaire Sargent, previous guest on the CogniCast. Um, he has kicked off a new crowdfunding campaign to support some more efforts around type closure, uh, specifically around gradual typing. So the, probably the best place to find that is just to find him on Twitter. He's at ambroseb.s.a.m.b.r.o.s.e.b.s. Um, On Twitter, Uh, I just went and funded him myself. Uh, You should too, Ambrose is doing good work. Um, Interesting stuff and a good guy. So uh, go there and and give him uh, him a few bucks if you're able to. Uh, And if you're not able to donate money, money, if you have the ability to donate time, I know he's looking for help. Um, You'll find the video on his site where he talks about what the project is and how you can get involved. So please go have a a check uh, for that. I guess there's one more thing I want to mention, which is actually relates to, I said I think this episode is going on on the 9th. You may or may not have noticed, but um, thanks to the efforts of uh, Kim and the rest of the production team, (laughs) not due to me, that's for sure, um, we are now on a fairly regular schedule. We uh, are releasing episodes. We've gone to a schedule where we release episodes the first and third Tuesday of each month. We may, from time to time, do special episodes above and beyond that, but for now, we've been sticking with that schedule since about the beginning of the year. So I want to call Kim out, thank her for her work, because that actually um, wouldn't have happened if it weren't for her. And if you go back and look at <laughs> the schedule that uh, we, took, we kept when I was in charge of all that, um, it was a little more, shall we say, irregular. Um, so I'm pretty happy about that. So uh, Also, you you know, gives you a, an idea of when to look for it. Now, I can't say that we'll always stick to that, Um, I mentioned that this episode is going out the 9th of June. That happens to be the second Tuesday. Well, that was just due to the holiday um, that we had that uh, meant that we didn't have everybody uh, here in the U.S., the uh, Memorial Day holiday. That meant that we couldn't um, spend the time on it that we usually do. So we may occasionally deviate, but we've been pretty good. So uh, you should be able to look forward to the first and third Tuesday of each month with a new episode. So, um, yeah, I think that's good. That's all I got on my notes here. So we'll go on and go to episode 80 of the CogniCast. we're ready to kick it off shall we go ahead yeah all right great of course cool all right well welcome everybody today is friday may 15th in the year 2015 and this is the Cognicast. and our guest today i'm very excited to have him on is the maintainer of cider the editor of the closure community style guide and an all-around nice guy that i had the opportunity to chat with in person at the most recent closure conch i'm talking of course about Bojadar batsov welcome to the show Bojadar. Uh,
1: thanks uh, thanks for having me here, Craig. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. As I mentioned already, this is my one of my favorite podcasts, so it's an honor.
0: Oh, well, it's uh, it's our pleasure, and it's really nice of you to say so. Well, we're thrilled to have you on. We do always start the guest off by asking them to share with us something that relates to art. We like to talk about art. We like to talk about people and uh, on the show. I think art is sort of a key part of the human experience. And uh, always ask our guests to share with us some some experience they've had in an artistic context, whatever that means to them. So uh, I warned you about this. Hopefully you had a chance to think of something you want to tell our listeners.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, Funny thing you mentioned this, uh, that you warned me, because I have been thinking about this uh, pretty much the entire week on and off. Uh, (laughs) And, you you know, uh, I'm kind of uh, more disconnected uh, um, with art than most people, I guess, uh, in my mind Uh, the the art uh, that affects me the most is probably music uh, and movies and probably comic books. Uh, I guess that that sounds pretty lame, but no, uh, not at all. I'm especially a- affected uh, by, by by movies in general. Uh, growing up, uh, going to the cinema was probably my favorite uh, experience. I'd be waiting the entire week, saving up. Uh, a little bit uh, of cash uh, to attend a movie or two over the weekend. And uh, whenever I got to see a, a really powerful movie, powerful at least uh, uh, for me, say uh, the remastered Star Wars uh, versions in 1997, I would be really shattered. Uh, sh- Shattered to the foundations of my being. I would be reflecting so much about uh, the the deeper meaning uh, of what I saw because most people uh, think of uh, movies just as uh, a way to relax a bit, waste uh, a couple of hours. But I know that uh, every good filmmaker has a a message that uh, they want to relate to us, to the audience. And I'm always... um, trying uh, my best Uh, I'm always trying hard to understand what this message is Uh, clearly there are movies without messages (laughs) but uh, I I do not care that much about them Uh, in uh, more recent uh, times I was uh, quite touched by the interstellar movie Uh, it was uh, a really nice uh, exploration of the human ambitions the uh, family bonds uh, and uh, their strength and their power. Really, really good stuff.
0: I wanted to see that one, but uh, I don't get to see as many movies as – or rather, I haven't made it a priority. I shouldn't make excuses. I haven't made it a priority to see the, the movies that I would like to. Do you, So do you have an all-time favorite movie? I mean I agree with you, first of all, that movies can really be a powerful experience. I think you've got a lot of different things assaulting your senses. We're very visual. You know, the the, the darkness of the theater, all that I think can can make for a very powerful experience, at least for me. Do you have a, a, an all-time favorite movie that, that you would – That you would name?
1: No, I I cannot name a Mm. a concrete movie because uh, I believe comparing movies uh, with one another, especially from different genres, is like comparing oranges to apples. uh, It it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Mm. I do have a lot of favorite movies, but uh, no one, uh, no movie stands uh, way above uh, the others.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, it's, uh, it's maybe like saying uh, I'm, I may have a favorite entree and I may have a favorite dessert, but that doesn't mean that I like either one of them to the exclusion of the other or, or that I would say either one is my favorite food. I absolutely. Buy that. Well, cool. Um, so I think most people know your name and would guess uh, what, the main reason, not certainly not the only reason, but the main reason that we wanted to have you on the show. You know, obviously we talk a lot about closure and uh, you are the maintainer of cider, which is an extremely popular... Um, I believe by the most recent measure, Emacs is the most popular editor for for closure, and cider is I I believe at, at least that cider is the most common way that people use Emacs to to edit code. So and and you've you've done a lot with that recently. Uh, you're you're quite active. Um, I certainly use your work all the time. That's how I program. And I don't know. I mean. Maybe not everybody knows what it is. Like I said, it certainly is extremely widely used, but maybe you could start off by explaining for anybody that doesn't know what exactly CIDR is. And I think it has a pretty interesting history, and if you wanted to talk about that too, I think that would also be cool.
1: Of course, of course. So uh, CIDR is basically an interactive closure development environment for Emacs. It was heavily inspired by uh, previous uh, Emacs work for other LISPs, uh, mostly by Slime. For common lisp and uh, to some extent by more recent uh, tools like uh, Gazer for uh, racket and scheme it, I, I have talked uh, a lot about uh, the, the history of the project uh, at uh, the previous closure conch uh, and I, I guess people who are more interested in the details can uh, go and watch the presentation so i'll be brief here but uh, traditionally we started off uh, programming in Closure uh, in Emacs by porting certain aspects of uh, the Slime environment to Closure. We swapped the Common Lisp backend with uh, a Closure backend. Uh, backend for uh, uh, Slime is named uh, Swank, and we developed uh, a Swank Closure backend, which was uh, pretty popular back in the day, I believe. Uh, that it was the very first interactive development environment for Clojure. It had, uh, unfortunately, a lot of limitations, mostly because uh, there is a a certain level of mismatch between the features offered by Common Lisp and the features offered by Clojure. Obviously, all all of the work being done in in Slime was uh, in the direction of uh, providing a a competitive Tibau backend, but uh, the frontend was uh, clearly uh, designed only with Lisp in mind. So this resulted in a suboptimal experience uh, for the Clojure users, at least in my mind. Theo uh, Hegelberg started an initiative uh, to provide um, another uh, environment, which uh, which uh, would be based on the freshly minted uh, NREPL server developed by Chas Emerick the project uh, was somewhat quickly abandoned by Phil but not uh, before he posted to the uh, closure uh, mailing list uh, then uh, an- there another guy Tim King decided uh, to pick up Phil's work and he released uh, the first public version uh, of the project back in the day it was called just and and uh, it was pretty much uh, just uh, a re implementation of uh, the slime uh, functionality using nrepo as the evaluation uh, backend instead of uh, swank closure. Uh, there were certain problems with uh, the initial approach uh, the project had taken, uh, most notably. And NREPL ships with uh, a barebone functionality uh, for implementing um, REPL clients. You have uh, a way to evaluate code. You have a way to interrupt uh, the code evaluation. You have some uh, basic error handling. Uh, you, you have a way to query the NREPL server for the functionality which uh, it provides. And uh, this is... Uh, this is the bulk of it. If you need something uh, more advanced, like uh, providing, say, uh, code completions or uh, documentation tooltips or, or anything similar, you are on your own. You had two, You have two options. You either uh, implement nRepo middleware, plugable uh, nRepo components to provide the extra operations. You have to implement those in closure and... Uh, Bind them with uh, the the server or you can uh, inline all the closure code that you need in the client and uh, evaluate it uh, using the standard eval operator Uh, and RepoL had uh, adopted uh, the second approach and uh, Clearly as you go forward as you try to develop uh, more complex and more complex functionality inlining uh, huge, uh, huge sections of closure code in uh, the Emacs Lisp code, which is uh, the, the native language for Emacs, uh, becomes quite uh, a And uh, the deeper problem is that you, you start making more and more assumptions about the environment in which uh, the nRepo server is running. Uh, for instance, originally nreppl-l was using the closure-complete library uh, for auto-completion and the reason for this is that it was known that lining n was depending on it. So if you, if you evaluate some of its functions, they will they will probably be there. The problem uh, with this, uh, as we discovered quickly afterwards, was that not everyone was actually using Cliningen to boot their Enrepo server, so some people ended up without auto completion, which uh, was definitely not not a nice uh, and uh, desirable scenario for us. Tim, at some point. Uh, Uh, Abandoned work on the project. I believe he started some new, very demanding uh, job. I was one of the early contributors and uh, he decided to uh, pass uh, the project maintenance to me. Um, One of the first things that I did was renaming the project because there was a a lot of confusion in the community back in the day because we had two uh, popular pieces of software code and repo the server and the client and after that uh, my biggest decision was to creep all the inline closure code from the client and uh, push it into reusable and repo middleware uh, and when i say uh, reusable this is probably the nicest thing about cider and this is uh, the point about few people actually Or, or at least, I believe that this is the case. Much of the backend that is powering CIDR uh, has uh, nothing Emacs specific in it. It can be leveraged by any editor or any um, integrated development environment uh, which needs to provide advanced closure editing functionality. And this is uh, super impressive and interesting for me that we have a close uh, collaboration with uh, two writers for vim for a uh, sublime text and uh, for uh, eclipse most recently this is uh, an unprecedented level of cooperation uh, from competing products mm-hmm. at, at least competing uh, as far as the general public is concerned but Fireplace is powered by the same middleware CIDR is. Closure um, Counterclockwise will be powered by it soon as well, or at least it seems like this. And there is some refactoring functionality for Sublime Text, uh, which is also based on CIDR and uh, a- another bit of middleware uh, refactor and REPO, which will uh, be integrated in CIDR and repo in time for the 0 uh, 1.0 release.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. This is, so I've been with, you know, I've been using the various technologies that you mentioned since the beginning. I mean, I used whatever the closure Slime, what was, I forget exactly. You mentioned the name, but there was a thing that was basically Slime. And then there was all this other family. of te- I've been on Emacs uh, the whole time. And um, it's been really interesting to see the evolution. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, because I also used Slime when I used to dabble in Common Lisp, and you mentioned that there were some differences between Common Lisp, the language, and Clojure, the language, that were part of the original reason that there was a switch away to away from slime and towards something more custom. And, and I I got a little curious when you said that. I what what were the language features? Because there's still things I think. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. There are still things that are in slime that we don't have in. In the cider world, I—I correct me if I'm wrong here, but things like who calls, uh, maybe it's there and I don't know it, but uh, there, there are uh, at least some things.
1: It, it, it is there, uh, but it is not uh, insider proper yet. Uh, it is available uh, in uh, the NRepo Refactor middleware pr- plus the CLG Refactor L plugin for, for cider. Uh, but yeah. Um, Most things uh, at a superficial examination uh, are the same, but uh, for instance, if we consider something pretty basic like uh, documentation in Common Lisp, uh, we deal only with one uh, class of documentation, and this is the documentation for uh, Common Lisp functions and variables. In Closure, for instance, first of all, we don't have uh, this distinction between uh, a function and a variable,
0: right? <laughs> mm-hmm, right. It's a list one, right? Instead of a list two. Yep. Yeah,
1: uh, and uh, we have to deal with certain aspects of our uh, host environment. For instance, uh, I-, I don't want us to support only the closure documentation. I want us to support natively Java documentation, uh, JavaScript documentation, C R documentation, whatever whatever we may need. Currently. We don't support anything uh, other than Java and uh, Closure documentation, but this is uh, something that we will definitely improve in the future. And uh, a, a lot of the functionality of Slime as implemented in uh, uh, Swank Closure was uh, kind of kind of halfway there. For instance, the hook calls functionality in uh, Slime, this is 100% precise if you're using Common Lisp. But in Clojure, it was implemented using uh, a text search. Basically, the the code would fetch all the vars in a namespace, retrieve their code and grab through it. This produced results that were mostly okay, but uh, there were definitely false positives here and there the proper way to do this is obviously by using s- some parser what we are doing uh, with uh, nrepo refactor now and what w- we will integrate insider eventually back in the day unfortunately these tools didn't exist so this was probably the best we can do but I- even if we uh, go uh, at, at the level of the ui the ui had names that were kind of uh, confusing for instance find function because the notion of function doesn't really exist in closure clearly cider uh, slime was pretty usable for uh, closure development people did this uh, for years maybe four or five i i don't uh, recall correctly i guess but uh, there were definitely plenty of uh, things that could be improved and things that we improved over time and uh, the the uh, really Im- important distinction is I guess the features that could have been in slime but weren't there because they simply didn't make uh, much sense for closure. For instance, uh, we have uh, integration with uh, the Grimoire uh, do- documentation site. This uh, doesn't make any any sense uh, for Common Lisp. We have uh, stack traces that are especially uh, that are specially filtered uh, to hide the host frames from them, whether they are from uh, Java or JavaScript. And this is something that uh, Common Lisp developers do not really care about as well. I'm, I'm talking about uh, things like this. Sure, no, that all that.
0: makes sense. And in fact, you said something that was key to my understanding, which is not only the things that are specific, that are different, from Common Lisp to closure on the JVM, but you know you have these objectives around other platforms. You mentioned the CLR. You mentioned Closure Script, which is, of course, quite different from closure uh, on the JVM in many respects. And then throw in all the other editors, and I can start to see why <laughs> trying to repurpose a Common Lisp package would be would be a dead end. Ultimately, I think is a fair way to put it.
1: Yeah, and there is. Also, one more aspect which has to be considered that uh, e- extending SWANK closure actually required uh, a pretty in-depth knowledge of Common Lisp, which uh, I'm afraid most of us simple closure hackers uh, didn't actually have.
0: Yeah, and, so that's interesting. That's something I wanted to ask you about too. I mean, because you point out that at that point you would have to know three languages, right? Because you'd have to know Common Lisp, as you said. You'd have to know closure, of course. But doing all this work in Emacs means you need to know Emacs Lisp as well. And I wonder whether that's something that continues to be challenging for I know when I've done a little tiny bit of work in, like, closure mode or other related things, you know, I, I have to kind of reset my brain every once in a while. I'll go, wait, no, this part's in, co- uh, in closure, this part's in Emacs Lisp. Maybe by this time it's second nature to you, but is that something that presents a challenge for you, is working in a project that's inherently multilingual?
1: Well, uh, it, it used to it used to be a challenge uh, for me. At, at some point, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, I, I have been an Emacs user for quite a while, but uh, working on cider and my desire to create a better environment for Clojure was uh, one of the key uh, motivating factors that pushed me to ac- actually master Emacs Lisp. Uh, there are a lot of frustrating things uh, in Emacs Lisp for Clojure developers because, uh, let's not kid ourselves, Clojure is leaps and bounds, uh, a better programming language than Emacs Lisp. But Emacs Lisp has also been evolving and I think that this is something that few people which are not monitoring the Emacs development closely know. Uh, it has been uh, strongly influenced uh, by Clojure in recent years. Uh, there was a very popular library called uh, Dash L, uh, which provided uh, some uh, closure functionality to Emacs Lisp. A- and by that, I'm not uh, saying that it provided the STM or persistent data structure. It provided uh, nice things like the trading macros, when let, sensible uh, collection abstractions. Uh, you know, you don't have to use uh, functions named. Uh, Map C, Map Car, things like this. Right. Uh, and uh, a, a library pretty similar to Dash L was uh, actually included in the Emacs trunk uh, recently, and we, we part by default in the upcoming Emacs 25. So this is uh, this is pretty exciting. We have made a lot of improvements to the string manipulation libraries, to the sequence manipulation libraries in recent years. And I really believe that Emacs Lisp is uh, going uh, in a really nice direction, although the process is definitely taking more time than many people would have liked it to have taken. Uh, pretty much everyone now is uh, targeting with their packages Emacs 24+, which means that we are making uh, heavy use flexical scoping, which means that uh, our programs are much more comprehensible to ordinary human beings. Right. Uh, so I think that a lot of nice things are happening in the world of Emacs in general.
0: Yeah, you know, I've I've always sort of liked Emacs Lisp. I mean, you know, as you say, it is, I think, strictly less powerful than, uh, than Clojure for accomplishing the types of programs that we tend to write for our day jobs. I mean, certainly the Emacs environment is a very powerful platform for writing. Text manipulation that the basic the basic core uh, strengths of Emacs and and you can't really consider Emacs and Emacs Lisp separate from each other, but but I've always sort of liked it. It feels like a nice little language. But you mentioned something I'm not sure how many people have done Emacs Lisp, but you this is just worth calling out to me because I think it'll shock a few people that that lexical scoping is is pretty new, <laughs> right? Meaning that Prior to um, Emacs 24, I think it is, as you said, uh, if you defined a new variable, if you said let X be three, then X was three forever after that, Like right? Dynamic scope was the default. It's it's completely nuts when you come at it from the direction of a more modern programming language. I mean, it it makes sense given the history of lisps and everything, but, but yeah, so you're right. I mean, that's I agree with you. I, I, I do watch Emacs a little bit, probably not as closely as you, but but that's one of the things that's like yeah you clearly this is a feature that needs to be in in the language the default is in my opinion crazy like how do you write programs like that and you know uh, it's 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 just kind of funny to see that that obviously you can because people have been using emacs and emacs lisp for forever
1: well uh, you you can do it but it was definitely not the most pleasurable experience i could imagine and uh, now now things are looking way way better uh, and uh, to come back to the original question, uh, I, I'm really happy that uh, by e- eliminating common list from the equation and separating clearly the Emacs list part from the Closure part, we made the project uh, more welcoming to people with only Closure experience, which I guess are most Closure developers. So back in the day, if you wanted to add uh, a, a feature to and REPOL, you definitely have to write uh, a-, a ton of Emacs Lisp. Right now, you have to write uh, whatever the operation has to do in Closure, and there is only a tiny glue layer of uh, Emacs Lisp that needs to be written uh, depending uh, on, on the user interface of the feature. If the user interface is fancy, guess you have to implement it as well in Emacs Lisp, but most, uh, a, a ton of useful uh, features have a very, very simple UI. So if you're a Clojure master and you want to contribute something to cider, it's pretty easy. And if you need help with uh, Emacs Lisp, obviously I'm here to help and uh, other guys uh, have been, and girls <laughs> have been helping a lot with the project. So uh, the bus factor is definitely not one and... Uh, <laughs> We we want to solicit as many new contributors uh, as possible. We want to ensure uh, the future and the health of the project going forward.
0: So I'll ask you a question that I ask a lot of people that are um, associated with open source projects. Do you think that contributing to CIDR would make a good project for somebody who is just learning Closure? and maybe they don't do it for their day job and they're like, ah, oh, I- would really like to have like a motivated problem to work on or do you think that it's something that someone would need to have more experience?
1: Well, uh, I I definitely think that it is not very hard. It uh, really depends on the problem that you try to solve but still the majority of the problems that we have are relatively simple, well-defined and they are not solved for uh, one reason and one reason only that everyone is so busy Um, And uh, we have uh, day jobs, families, uh, life outside computing. (laughs) Uh, So I I think that uh, contributing to Clojure is uh, a a pretty good uh, way to get started in Clojure. And it's also a pretty good way to get started with Emacs. And if you want to contribute to to CIDR, uh, you don't necessarily have to contribute to CIDR itself you can contribute to one of the many uh, awesome libraries that we leverage internally. I always uh, invite people to contribute to libraries like uh, nrepo and piggyback, which are instrumental to CIDR. Uh, there are pure uh, closure libraries, but improvements there can benefit tremendously cider's users. Hmm.
0: That's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, a, sort of a rising tide uh, lifts all boats. And you actually reminded me of another question I wanted to ask you. Um, it's sort of related. Um, I'd be really curious to get your take on this. And this is a discussion that comes up a lot when we're talking about you know people being new to closure. Which is, do you think it's a good idea to learn Emacs and closure at the same time? I mean, you know, my experience of Emacs has been that it has a substantial learning curve. You can get off the ground. I think easier than, than people generally think, but mastery requires a significant investment. Closure is similar in a way, so so we often say, well, should we encourage people to start with like like a whatever text editor they're they're familiar with, or something with, with you know that's less different or more familiar? Like you know what I'm trying to say? Like, is, what's the approach there that you think people should take as a beginner?
1: Yeah, uh, I understand the question. It is a question that I have answered uh, numerous times hmm. over the years. And uh, to be honest, I, I think that uh, it is probably not the greatest idea to learn Emacs and Closure because really they have a somewhat steep learning curve, d- depending on your background. Obviously, if you're learning uh, Closure with Scheme background, uh, it will be a, a pretty different experience compared to if your background is in PHP. And uh, um, if you have uh, experience with uh, VI uh, or or Vim, I think that uh, making the switch uh, to Emacs would be uh, easier, but if you're used just to modern uh, editors uh, and uh, integrated development environments, then you should probably learn them separately, probably first Closure and then Emacs, if you're up to the challenge.
0: Yeah, and so that that raises another question. I have been using Emacs for, Ooh my, a long time, since about 1990, and mostly every day during that time. So I'm well familiar with it, like <laughs> to the point where if I'm in some other program, I frequently, I bet you do this too, will we'll use the keyboard shortcuts for Emacs and go, ah, oh, that doesn't work but i wonder let's so let's say that somebody has taken the path that, and and by the way i agree with you i think that um in general every person is different as you say but in general you're you're better off beginners are better off learning closure to the point where they're comfortable and then taking on the editor whatever that might be let's say it's emacs as a separate step I, I i'm i'm kind of leaning towards the eat the elephant one bite at a time approach but but i guess what i'm asking you is how would you sell someone on Emacs? I mean I've bought in but why would I bother to learn e- Emacs and 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 then within that why would I use uh, cider I mean what, what's the what's the win in in terms of both of those technologies
1: well my usual sell for Emacs is uh, the following if you want the ultimate ability to customize your environment to tailor it to your preferences to your needs, this is definitely the way to go. There are other quite customizable programming environments, but uh, given all the limitations of Emacs Lisp, I think that it is still much better than VimScript and it is much easier to just uh, write uh, a simple Emacs command, evaluate it on the fly in Emacs and play with it. Than to write uh, plugins for Eclipse or IntelliJ Idea, because uh, the the plugin APIs are definitely not as simple, and uh, you you have to invest a significant uh, amount of efforts upfront before you start actually gaining something. And in Emacs, it is really as simple as writing uh, uh, four lines of code, uh, some defun with uh, the interactive clause and you're done. You can immediately use uh, MetaX to evaluate your new command, get, get some real feedback and refine, uh, repeat, refine, repeat. It is, uh, it is probably the nicest uh, experience I've ever had customizing a programming environment. Mm. And uh, this is exactly the same experience that uh, Cider provides for me when I'm programming in Closure and uh, this is why I believe that uh, uh, CIDR is a good option for uh, Clojure programming because it integrates so seamlessly with uh, the environment. Uh, recently, an acquaintance of mine mentioned that uh, he started learning uh, Clojure. He chose to use uh, Cider because he was familiar with Emacs already. And uh, he noticed that his interactions with closure insider are pretty much indistinguishable from his interactions with emacs lisp in emacs so f- for me this was uh, this was really nice to hear because uh, it makes me believe that uh, we are very close to our ultimate goal which is to provide exactly the same uh, level of integration of fluidity of seamlessness uh, you're just interacting always with uh, the environment, uh, building in small blocks and moving uh, towards the end goal, whatever it may be.
0: So that's interesting. I mean, I I agree that, that that is the thing I like about Emacs. I hadn't really had that experience. I I generally find that what CIDR provides, um, although you mentioned who calls being there and that's something I'd like as well as a debugger and we can talk about that I think there's been some work there as well but I I haven't really had the experience that I have in Emacs with Cider and I haven't tried but but do you, would you say that that extends to the the sort of dynamic reconfiguration I mean where in, in Emacs I can say eh I'm going to write a little scratch version of this thing and now I have this new capability and I can choose to to hang on to it or not is are you saying that that kind of you know, REPL sort of experience, the dynamic environment mm-hmm. experiences there. Can you elaborate on that then? I mean, what's, how, give me an example of something I would do in Cider that would expand it in that that way.
1: I, I don't know about you, but usually the way I program is in Clojure is uh, I start uh, writing, say, a function. I uh, constantly use... Uh, Ctrl-C, Ctrl-C to re-evaluate uh, re- it uh, all the time. I'd uh, instantly run it in the repo, see the feedback when I'm uh, uh, writing the function from time to time, I'd forget uh, something about another function that I need for its implementation. I could uh, immediately get the documentation th- the very same way I would get it uh, for Emacs, I can immediately navigate to the definition of something which I'm using. I can immediately go uh, to some uh, related uh, namespace. Obviously, I cannot modify the editor from CIDR, but uh, I I feel that my program is one living, growing organism. And I'm... uh, interacting with it on a very deep and personal level. I got you. Uh, call me crazy. <laughs> but uh, w- when I used to be a Java developer um, my my experience was totally different. I would uh, write something I would click the run button in the IDE or I would run uh, some Maven command and I would wait and something would happen and I would uh, be like oh something happened <laughs> uh, and uh, the same extends to debugging. Uh, when I uh, wonder about something in uh, in the Java world, I have to stop my program, start it uh, in uh, start Java in debug mode, so it would uh, respect my breakpoints, etc., etc. But uh, in Emacs Lisp and in uh, Clojure now, we very res- recently added a debugger, so there is definitely some work done in this department. You can just instrument a function for debugging, invoke it again, and you will magically end up inside and be able to inspect the local state, step forward, and things like this. And this is a pretty seamless and super interactive dynamic experience.
0: Gotcha. Sorry, I, I I misunderstood your statement, and I, I totally agree with you that that is definitely the experience I have when I am using Cider. I guess. So and for, and also I want to say that the idea of having a debugger available in my preferred environment is is awesome. I had seen some mention of it. I haven't tried it yet. Totally need to do that. Um, it's definitely a tool that that I don't use a lot of in Clojure, but that I do have occasional need for and have missed once in a while. But the 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 part the part that I just wanted to clarify is because I'm curious to get your insight is so I agree right. Like you can look at the closure programmer program that you're interacting with and. You definitely have that same sense of being able to to navigate it and change it and interact with it dynamically in the same way that when you're writing Emacs Lisp, you can navigate and change and and view that dynamically as well. I guess what I had thought you were saying, and I wonder whether this is something that's available, is I, I was drawing the analogy between Emacs Lisp and cider itself, not the thing that we're using cider to manipulate our closure program, but I was I was wondering whether whether the experience you were going for was the one wherein the tool, right? Like CIDR, this tool that we're using to manipulate our program is itself malleable in the same way that our closure code is malleable through CIDR and that our Emacs Lisp is malleable through Emacs itself. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes sense and uh, CIDR is pretty malleable, but uh... Uh, from the Emacs Lisp side of things, because I- I- if you need a new command, you just have to quickly get familiar with the way to invoke and operations. Write a little bit of glue code, as I mentioned earlier, and you're done. Mm. You're just out um, just a second because <laughs> I I press some key bindings all the all day and I cannot remember them if my <laughs> hands aren't on the keyboard. So you. You press uh, Control uh, Alt uh, X and you're done. Magic, a new cider command uh, here to do your bidding, to make your life more pleasant. And unfortunately, you cannot extend uh, the backend I- exactly in the same manner uh, as you can write. You have to be plugged in it. Uh, uh, if the project you're connected to is the back end and you start adding new stuff to it, clearly you can start leveraging them right away. But I'm pretty sure that most people aren't using Cider to develop Cider. Do you? Well, I-, I do use it, yeah. I eat my own dog food.
0: <laughs> Excellent. I-, I wanted to ask you about something. Uh, so a- as you know, we had Colin on the show recently because you actually reached out and said, hey, I see you had Colin on. You talked about cursive. We should talk about um, CIDR. And I said, well, yes, absolutely we should. I'm ashamed that you had to mention it because I, I would, have, would have done it happily even if you hadn't. But I'm glad you're here regardless. But it was interesting, right? I mean, this, this last state of closure survey showed a very significant increase in the use of cursive. And, you know, since Emacs has dominated the closure development landscape so much, I wonder if you had any perspective on that. And it's not, it's not really about cursive per se. I'm just wondering if you have a sense of what the dynamic is, you know, in the sense of more, tri- I don't know, traditional. I mean, Emacs is, what, 30 years old. I guess it's the traditional thing. But I'm thinking more mainstream IDEs versus something like Emacs. Like if you have a sense of, I don't know, just like I wanted to get, wanted to get your perspective on that shift.
1: Mm -hmm. Of course, (laughs) and I I do think about this uh, from time to time, you know, I was uh, kind of sad when I saw the latest uh, State of Closure results because I I know that uh, I I did a lot of work to improve CIDR and so many awesome people contributed uh, to the project. I cannot help them enough, uh, uh, thank them enough, but I will use this uh, as an opportunity to do so you're awesome, I value each and every contribution, no matter how small the project wouldn't be uh, as great uh, without its great contributors. So uh, I knew we had done a lot of work, but the popularity of the project was uh, declining. At, at least originally I was kind of upset, but uh, when I thought a bit uh, about the problem, I realized that the majority of the people using Emacs didn't really need Emacs, they didn't uh, need the power to extend it that much, they only wanted to write Clojure code, get get their Clojure programs up and running possibly as quickly as possible, they were probably way more familiar with other environments and they were using Emacs just because there weren't any good alternatives. I can honestly say that uh, cursive uh, is an amazing tool, and if I if I wasn't using Emacs, I would probably be using cursive myself. So, uh, so this is uh, perfectly natural for me. For me, C- Clojure always felt like a gateway drug to Emacs. I was very happy that uh, we had the best Closure tooling. So many people who would normally never try Emacs tried Emacs, liked Emacs, uh, and stayed with Emacs. But uh, I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not delusional. I know that it is impossible that Emacs would uh, feel right, right, uh, like the right tool for uh, each and every one of us. So I- I'm just happy that people have the opportunity to choose whatever tool uh, is best for them. And th- this is really powerful and really important for the success of any programming language. I I think that uh, Clojure is not uh, extremely successful yet uh, to some extent because we were missing the the right tools. Java may not be the nicest programming language in the world, but it has such an awesome tooling ecosystem. Uh, The tools pretty much uh, eliminate half the pain points in in the language itself. And imagine if Clojure had tooling as awesome as this, we would uh, blow Java literally out of the water. (laughs) Or at least I believe so. I know that uh, Lisp is unlikely to to, uh, displace all the languages from the Algo family, but still it's a nice, nice dream, (laughs) at least for me. Uh, To to summarize, I just believe that we are getting better and better closure development tools and uh, the distribution of the users is is normalizing. Uh, They're just moving away to their preferred, most native, so to say, tools, which is perfectly reasonable and I would have it no other way.
0: I agree. And I I certainly wish, Colin, all the luck in the world. I think, as you said, it's actually quite important that uh, that cursive exists. And it does, you know, lots of people I've talked to are very impressed for it. But I will say, I think there's one problem that it's unlikely to solve that's critical for me, even aside from the fact that I personally am an Emacs fan, which is there are a lot of times where I need to develop in a terminal, (laughs) right? (laughs) I I need to, like I'm on a a machine where it it would be quite difficult. I'm pairing, for instance, or Tmux, um, and it would be quite difficult for me to um, to do so otherwise. I, obviously, Vim could fill the same the same uh, niche, but um, if I'm going to be in a text editor, I have my personal pr- preference there. So um, you can be guaranteed that I will continue to make use of uh, e- of closure from Emacs, and and therefore very very likely use cider to do so. I think that's an important uh, important aspect of the of the tool.
1: Yeah, uh, but by the way, it it's funny that you mentioned this because. I have been uh, an Emacs user for over 10 years now I think and I very rarely use Emacs in the terminal so this was not a use case uh, that would pop uh, immediately in my mind.
0: (laughs) Yeah I mean I spend a lot of time on uh, Amazon EC2 machines and I spend at least part of that time pairing and for that scenario um, it's hard to beat a terminal. I mean, the other option really is screen sharing, and I do it a lot too, where one person is just watching. But I don't know. I prefer that, and so I think it's mm-hmm. a it's a fairly important for me at least use case. Cool. Well, I want to make sure that we get to a couple other things. One of them is uh, you mentioned uh, the 1.0 release. Do you, I have not been tracking Cider very very closely? Is there a is there a time frame or a feature set or anything that you want to say about about 1.0 or the imminence thereof? <laughs>
1: So uh, there is a feature set for the 1.0 release. And there is no time frame. We will release pretty soon the 0.9 release, which might be the last or the uh, penultimate release before the 1.0 release. And we're having some problems unfortunately with the closure script compatibility because things are shifting so, so quickly in the closure script world. By the time we manage to make Cider compatible with the latest Closer script release, a new one comes along with more changes and we're uh, again facing breakages and problems. It is uh, a, a bit crazy, but uh, I really hope that the dust will settle relatively soon. My plan is to release 0.9 within a week or so, provided we manage to fix the final closure script uh, showstopper bug. And for uh, 1.0, we are going to merge all the features from uh, uh, CLG refactor into, um, into CIDR proper. This will give us find usages. This will give us extract definition Uh, This will give us uh, extract local uh, things like this, all the useful refactorings that IDE users uh, are accustomed to. I think that this would be an epic step forward. Uh, The integration between the two projects will likely be painful. (laughs) A Mm -hmm. lot of people will hate us for a while during the transitional period. So. I guess my advice for people going forward is to stay away from 1.0 snapshot <laughs> while we develop it, but 0.9 should be a pretty solid, a solid release. Uh, we have the debugger, which was one of the main uh, blockers of the 1.0 release. So right now we just have to provide the refactoring features out of the box and we are golden. We're also considering one more relatively big change, and this is uh, the new socket repo, which is coming with uh, closure 1.7. We're not sure whether uh, it is worth uh, investing a lot of efforts to support it so soon because uh, we have been focused exclusively on nrepo for obvious reasons, and our code is highly coupled uh, with NREPO at this point decoupling kit uh, is not impossible but it will definitely take a while for the future i i really hope that we'll be able to support uh, this uh, socket repo out of the box as well as i know people uh, dislike dependencies Uh, the number one complaint for cider is that you have to install additional middleware for it to work properly But even with the socket repo, you still have to install some additional dependency because the tooling code has to be somewhere. And uh, we're investigating some ways to auto-load such dependencies, but this is probably further down in the future.
0: Very exciting. I I have a kind of a random question. I, I have seen some talk lately in the Emacs space about expanded use of what I believe are called Hydras. Are you familiar with this? Uh,
1: yes. Uh, it is uh, a project by Oleg Krechel, Am I correct?
0: I think that's right. I saw it on the e blog, which is a pretty good uh, Emacs-based uh, blog. I, mm-hmm. I like it a lot. I like the concept. You see it primarily, at least I see it, in Majit used pr- predominantly. And as mm-hmm. you were talking about you know, these new features, like the refactoring stuff in particular, I could... Here I am giving you advice on a project you spent countless hours on after I've thought about it for all of 30 seconds, so please feel free to ignore me, but I wonder whether you think there's any value in making use of... So just in case people don't know, a Hydra is this idea where you kick off a command and what it really takes you to is the beginning of sort of a, a, a tree of commands where it would say like, well, the next thing you do is press R to refactor, and then after that it's E to extract method, and you get visual feedback on those options. It seems like the sort of thing that would be useful for something like refactoring, where you do actually have a, a plethora of options available.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this was what I was going to say, that uh, refactoring is the place uh, where when I can uh, see this as uh, a most useful addition. If you look at the key bindings for uh, refactorings we have right now, they're not exactly the uh, most Uh, easy to use key bindings. Unfortunately, we have so many interactive commands that we're having a really hard time finding uh, good key bindings for the new commands. One of the ways uh, we are trying to subvert uh, this issue is by adding uh, dedicated key maps for families of related commands. For instance, we have a key map for documentation commands. We can have key maps for other families of commands as well, but still they add more and more keys without the feedback. And uh, the, the feedback that Hydra provides is really nice. So something like this is definitely in the cards for the future.
0: Excellent. We mentioned at the top of the show that cider is not all you do. Uh, you're also the editor of the Clojure Community Style Guide, which I'm not sure if people are even aware of that, and I want to make sure that we spend a little time talking about that. So maybe you could give us a description of what that project is about. Uh,
1: So as with many uh, new languages, uh, there is always a problem for the beginners that uh, they're uncertain about uh, the best ways, the uh, idiomatic ways to implement something or to just just format something. I know that when I was starting to program uh, a long time ago, I searched for such resources for Pascal and uh, after that for C, for C++. There were plenty. And um, I I felt that something like this would be very useful for uh, Closure developers because I, I saw um, at many forums, uh, mailing list questions about whether this is a good idea or a bad idea. How do you indent this? Uh, whether it has one space or two spaces or uh, whatever how do you uh, when is preferable to when is it preferable to use threading over the normal way to compose uh, functions and uh, because i had already written a similar uh, document for ruby i i do uh, fortunately unfortunately or (laughs) for various reasons i do a lot more uh, ruby development than closure development so I had written an uh, extremely popular document for the Ruby community, and I decided that uh, I can uh, reuse the knowledge I've gained, uh, maintaining and editing it over the years uh, and apply it to my beloved Closure community as well. I solicited feedback from uh, dozens of people, and I I think that uh, it is a really great resource to get you started uh, with the best practices on a very simple uh, level uh, with closure here we're obviously not taking uh, talking about architectural patterns or things like this those are just uh, some basic uh, rules of thumb that you you might want to follow because style style for me in general is very important you don't want to be distracted uh, uh, by the old style of a project when you're going over its code if people stick to more or less the same rules, uh, rules that are established, blessed by the community, it is easier for your mind to be focused on what the code does instead of on how the code looks. <laughs> I have uh, one huge issue with the Java code base for Clojure. uh The Java code style that Rich uh, likes is pretty strange. And I'm always like whoa, why does this look like this? This is so confusing. Uh, I know that uh, I would be more focused on adding features than on uh, criticizing the code style style, had it been more uh, consistent with uh, the common Java practices. And this is why I'm so into style, uh, providing some general guidelines for uh, organizations, teams to follow because... We shouldn't be thinking about the trivial details. Uh, We should just know them and we should focus on the important tasks at hand.
0: Agreed. No need to reinvent the wheel on that. And uh, there is definitely value in having a common starting place for for everybody to share. So I think that's super cool. Well, obviously, we'll put the the link to that in the show notes so that people can find it easily from there. Um, Well, I see we're coming up on about an hour. I don't want to cut the conversation off. It's been super interesting, especially if there's... Uh, Anything else you think we should cover today? I'd be more than happy to talk about that. But of course, we will have to have you back on Uh, at some point in the future. You know, you're not stopping with cider. And so there'll be more to talk about there as well as whatever else you work on. But uh, like I said, don't want to cut the conversation off. Is there anything else that you want us to cover today?
1: No, uh, I think we covered plenty. I don't want to bore the listeners. Uh, I know that uh, listening to a one-hour uh, podcast is kind of hard uh, when everyone is so busy these days. So uh, yeah. I guess we can pick up the conversation some, sometime in the future. I'd yeah. really love that.
0: I would too, and I don't think there's any danger of being bored. I certainly was not, but uh, I think you're right. We can draw it to a close and more than happy to have you back on and, and talk more about uh, whatever makes sense to talk about cider included. Um, All right, well, then we've come to the end part of the show where we ask you, our guest, to provide us with some advice. Now, that might be advice you've received. It might be advice that you like to give. It might be advice you've overheard, whatever you think it means. And I warned you about this one as well. So hopefully, (laughs) again, you've had a chance to uh, make a selection. And uh, why don't you go ahead and share that with our listeners?
1: Sure, yeah. Uh, I I had a chance to think about this. And my advice for the listeners would be never make uh, compromises with the the things uh, you work with, always same to play with uh, the technologies that make you happy, with the business domains that make you happy and be one uh, happy and content individual. Life is uh, too too short to make uh, (laughs) compromises. You know, we have to make some, but uh, we have to make as few of them as possible. And uh, I'd also like to repeat uh, Colin's advice. Uh, Work and programming is not everything in life. Uh, I'd encourage everyone to spend some some time in the real world as well. Lately, I have been thinking that uh, over the past decade or so, I have been laser focused on uh, programming as a hobby, as a career and I really need to do some, something different for a change. So, I have been doing a bit more traveling. I started learning natural languages for a change, and uh, this makes me feel awesome. So, uh, I, I think that if you have uh, a background similar to mine, you might appreciate uh, some changes in your life as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you on that one. I, uh, I find that at this point in my life, I've gotten to a point where I don't spend as much time of my free time um, in front of the computer anymore. I have, a, I have, a, people have probably heard me talk about woodworking a little bit. That's one of the ways that I spend my time. But you're right; it doesn't need, it, it can, it needs to be something that you're passionate about. Those parts of your brain will that do computers will definitely benefit from spending time outside of the the main area. Um, you know, but of course, it's perfectly cool to indulge this hobby, this lifestyle, this, this passion of ours, uh, when that makes sense. Anyway, I'm really just plus one-ing what you said, which I think is great advice. So I will stop doing that and, and, and go on to say, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was really great to talk to you. You know, you've done great work with, with cider. The, the style guide is an excellent resource for people. And, uh, It's just been really fun to chat with you. I enjoyed talking to you at at the conj, and it's been a a joy to talk to you again today. So thanks again for coming on.
1: Likewise, it was really a pleasure to be here. So uh, see you soon, I guess.
0: Absolutely. All right, so thanks again to Bojadar, and thanks to our listeners. This has been the CogniCast. You have been listening to the Cognicast. The Cognicast is a production of Cognitech Inc., whom you can find on the web at cognitech.com and on Twitter at cognitech. You can subscribe to the cognacast listen to past episodes, and view cover art at our home on the web, cognitech.com/podcast. Our guest today was Bojidar Batsov on Twitter at B-Batsav, bbatsov. B B A T S O V. Episode cover art is by Michael Parento. Audio production by Russ Olson. The Cognicast is produced by Kim Foster. Our theme music is "Thumbs Up for Rock and Roll" by Kill the Noise with Feed Me. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening. <laughs>